Welcome to the vineyard. We're glad you're with us on a, uh, looks like a nice Sunday morning. It was lightning when I came in, but it looks okay now. So I don't know what that time, that was early. Uh, we're glad you're here and uh, we're going to continue on in our series today called Who Do You Think You Are? And this series is, uh, I, I like the title of it because uh, you can, you know, who do you think you are? But it's really about who do you think you are? You know, do you know who you are in Christ? It's about your identity in Christ. And so we're taking some time to talk about that and how important it is for us to know that because once we settle in our identity in Christ, we can really experience a full and abundant life that uh, God has for us. Remember, underneath all of this, 2 Corinthians 5.17, Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, they're a new creation. The old is gone. The new has come. So in Christ, we're new creations. And... Um, we, we, we sometimes struggle with that because there's a tension going on. You have to remember, we've been justified when you come to Christ. And God's seeing us in the perfection of His Son while the Holy Spirit is working in us and we're being sanctified and will be glorified. But, but we're already new creations in Christ. And so that's the identity that we're to live out on this journey. Last week we talked about being chosen and how important that is. And, and what we said ultimately is God has chosen us for His team and his team is a team that goes out and loves everybody always. And so we're going to build on his love today, his love for us as part of our identity and how we're to reflect that love to others. So that's where we're heading. Bad joke time. You know, I used to play on the worship team. I played the triangle, but uh, I got tired of it because it was just one ting after another. These are, these are bad jokes. All right, now listen, you've got to listen to this one because it's failed miserably twice. What has four letters, sometimes has nine letters, always has six letters, but never has five letters. Okay, so now I have to explain it. What has four letters, sometimes has nine letters, ah, always has, never has five Got you thinking though, right? Think for this one. I got an email from Google Earth that says it can read maps backwards. And I thought, that's just spam. <laughs> all right, yes. Free coffee, bagels, breakfast, all for you. Scripture reading here on purpose. John chapter 15, beginning in verse 12. My command is this. Love each other as I have loved you. Greater love has no one than this, that he lay down his life for his friends. You're my friends if you do what I command. I no longer call you servants because a servant doesn't know his master's business. Instead, I've called you friends. For everything that I learned from my father, I have made known to you. You did not choose me, but I chose you and appointed you to go and bear fruit, fruit that will last. Then the father will give you whatever you ask in my name. This is my command, love each other. Blessed be the word of the Lord. We, we looked at that passage for a little bit last week, but I wanted to pick that back up because of the unction, the command in there to love others if I have loved you. Also, it's Fisherman Blessing Weekend. At the end of the service, I'm going to pray for all of the fishermen and bless you. But that works really well for this message because also it's part of our identity that, that Jesus said to follow him and he would make us fishers of men. And remember, he was talking to uh, fishermen at the time. Seven of the twelve disciples, we believe, were fishermen. They had a, a unique quality 
that um, really suited the, the life that he has for us. Because fishermen, most fishermen are pretty passionate about fishing. Um, if you're here this week because you're going after lobster, we call that fishing as well. Um, you've, some of you have gone through a lot just to get here. And uh, you've, you've hauled huge boats down and you've gone through all sorts of things and, and just to get ready to fish because you're, it's something that you're passionate about. And Jesus was saying, listen, I want to take that passion and what I want to do is increase it and grow it so you have that passion for the lost so that they can know about the love of God for them as well. So it ties in very well. So we're going to talk about how God loves us and how we're to reflect that love. Point number one, how does God love us? John fifteen twelve. My command is this, love each other as I have loved you. Now here's sort of the situation when it comes to God's love with most of us. We tend to define God's love by how we feel. And so if things are going well and we're feeling pretty good, it's pretty easy for us to go, yes, God loves me, I'm good, it's good, yay. However, if circumstances change and things are going a little rough, Oftentimes what we do is we start to wonder if God really loves us. In fact, a lot of people will go to, have I done something wrong? Is God punishing me for this situation? And so we're, we're sort of taking God's love and we're putting these feelings towards it and conditions on it in the process. And, and so most of us have this sort of thing where we're allowing circumstances and problems and issues and things going on and how we feel about them determine how God loves us. But that's not the case. Listen to what the Apostle Paul says about the love of God. Romans 8, 35 through 39. He says, Who shall separate us from the love of Christ? Shall trouble or hardship or persecution or famine or nakedness or danger or sword? As it is written, for your sake we face death all day long. And we're considered as sheep to be slaughtered. No, in all these things we are more than conquerors through him who loved us. For I am convinced that neither death, nor life, neither angels, or demons, neither the present, nor the future, nor any powers, neither height, nor depth, nor anything else in all creation will be able to separate us from the love of God that is in Christ Jesus our Lord. Powerful, powerful passage about His love for us. And Paul says, listen, who, who will separate us from this love that we have, God's love in Christ? And it's a great question because if your understanding of God's love is based on the way that you feel and you're going through some bad situations, you might not think that God loves you the way you hoped he had or that you thought he would or whatever was going on. So he says, what's going to separate us from this kind of love? Who, who will trouble do it? And, and so... You know, if you're going through some troubles, does that mean that God doesn't love you? Or some hardships, he says. Anybody here ever have a hardship? Uh, you know, work, family, wherever else it might be. Everybody has those. How about some persecution going on? You ever been persecuted for, for just trying to do the right thing? Um, the next couple, we don't experience much culturally here. But, it's, you know, in, in most parts of the world, they, it's something significant. A famine, nakedness, you don't have food, you don't have clothing, the very basics. He said, does that mean that God doesn't love you? And then he tosses these last two in danger. And he concludes it with the sword. And that sword, that's the Roman sword that can actually take your, your head off. And, which is something they were dealing with at that point in time under the oppression. And in fact... The Apostle Paul, church history tells us, actually, um, that's how he uh, finished his ministry, was under the persecution of Nero in A.D. 54. Uh, he was, uh, his head was taken off by a sword, a Roman sword. And so he, he knows of which he speaks. And he says this. He said, let me ask you a question. 
Are any of these things, any of these circumstances, any of this stuff going on, how you're feeling in life, does any of it really mean that God doesn't love you? And then he says, as it's written, for your sake we're being killed all day long and we're regarded as sheep to be slaughtered. Now, when you're reading the Scripture, and I'm always encouraging you to read the Bible, and, and sometimes we have a tendency to read through and we, we don't sort of pause and reflect the way that we should. And when you're reading um, the Scripture and you see a, as it's written in there or something like that, you need to go and find out what was going on. And Paul is actually quoting from Psalm 44. Now, most of the people who would be responding and reading this letter would have known exactly what I was talking about because they had an intimate knowledge of the psalm. But because we, for the most part, don't, we need to go and find out what was going on in that psalm. And so when you're reading and you see that, and usually in your Bible there'll be a reference to it, you need to go and look that up, what what was going on. When Psalm 44, the psalmist is saying that they're about to get slaughtered, um, and it's certainly not a good thing going on, but it's not because of anything that they've done wrong. Verse uh, 17 and 18 of Psalm 44, all this happened to us. Though we had not forgotten you or been false to your covenant, our hearts had not turned back. Our feet had not strayed from your path. Paul is saying that, that sometimes, we, living in a fallen world on a broken planet, sometimes we experience things that, that aren't the greatest thing. But that doesn't mean somehow that God doesn't love us and we need to get rid of that thinking in our life. And, and, and yet we struggle with that because we sort of, our natural minds really get stuck in that whole, well, if things are going good, God loves me, and if they're not, then... I'm probably being punished for something, for some reason, and maybe he doesn't really love me. So we need to hang on with that and, the, and hang on to the fact that he loves us. And in fact, knowing that love, and this is significant in your identity, means that we are more than a conqueror in Christ Jesus. So more than a conqueror. So the conqueror that he's talking about is the one who could take your life. He's the one with the sword. He's the one who could take your clothing or your your food away. Uh, He's the one that could cause you trouble and hardship. But what Paul is saying is, listen, because of this love that we have, this love of God is so much better than anything that we'll ever face. It makes us more than the conquerors, more than the situations, more than the circumstance in your life. And we need to know that. And then to make it clear, he says, I'm convinced that neither death, nor life, nor angels, or demons, or the present, or the future, or any powers, nor height, nor depth. And in case Paul missed anything, he says, nor anything else in all creation will be able to separate us from the love of God that is in Christ Jesus our Lord. He makes it clear, nothing can separate you from that love God has for you. God loves you passionately. He loves you personally. And like that song you were singing, He loves you recklessly. The reckless love of God. God sent His own Son because He loves you. How powerful is that? My, my wife said to me, you wouldn't even let our son ride his bicycle without a helmet. Do you, do you get how amazing the love of God is for us? So, we have to know that. It's part of our identity. Well, this, because of this love, we're more than conquerors. And so we need to reflect this love into the world around us. That's point two. We need to reflect this love. And yet, unfortunately, so we've got this feeling thing wrapped in there. And then, along with the feelings, we start putting conditions on this love. We're used to love being conditioned. Most of us, you know, as grow, when we were growing up, we learned kind of love that way. Like if we were being good and doing what we're supposed to do, there were rewards a lot of times. And if we weren't, 
so much there was punishment going on and we sort of figured out we liked the reward thing and so maybe it was worth doing it and and then we didn't like the punishment part so so as we got older we tried to figure out how we could do stuff we shouldn't do and maybe not let anybody know and and so we got kind of withdrawn and distant and and yet we and then we do that with god we sort of have this kind of polite casual thing with god where we like the reward part but if he really knew who i really was then he wouldn't love me and we got all this stuff working into this love and it's a big mess and then we start to think because the church has done this throughout history we start to think well you know if he loves me and i'm in that means if i'm in then other people are out people that i don't like or people that i don't agree with or people that aren't doing the things i want well they must be out then because i'm in and he loves me and this becomes this huge problem that, that we have to deal with because if we start to think like that we're not reflecting the love of god the way we're supposed to Fortunately, Jesus comes on the scene and he models for us life and how we're to love and, and how to reflect the love of God. There's a great chapter in Luke chapter, uh, in the Bible, in Luke chapter 15. And he tells three stories. And I want to share those stories. Briefly, you should go and read that passage this week, that whole chapter. It's great. But let me start with the first couple of verses. Now the tax collectors and sinners were all gathering around to hear him. But the Pharisees and the teachers of the law muttered, This man welcomes sinners and eats with them. So, so Jesus invited everybody to the table. You need to see what's going on. Tax collectors and sinners. So tax, it's funny that, that the, the established religious community of the day hated tax collectors. And so they had their own special bracket. It wasn't bad enough there were sinners. There was a whole other group, tax collectors and sinners. And so... So, so, so think about it. This is how much they hated them. They hated them because they, they thought they were treasonous and they, had, you know, they were stealing from them, which is probably true, and oppressing them, and they were working for the enemy. So they had their whole... Ta- but if you had to choose and you were going to have somebody to the house for dinner, go with the sinner and not the tax collector, all right? So, but they weren't going to have any of it, and that's what they were grumbling about. The Pharisees, the established religious community said, we can't believe that, that Jesus has these people sit at the table with him. Now, the, the, the tax collectors and the sinners, see, they were drawn to Jesus. So this whole group is gathered, and you need to see the picture. Because Jesus made them feel good. Because Jesus gave them dignity, and he valued them, and they knew it, and he, he loved them, and they could experience it, and it was something they weren't experiencing. The religious community, who didn't want those people there, but they were being drawn to Jesus, too. Sometimes we miss that. They liked being around him, too, but they thought they deserved the place at the table because of all the things that they'd done. And, and these people didn't belong there at all. And yet here was Jesus hanging out with everybody and it bothered them tremendously because if they were in, they had to be out. There wasn't room for the whole process. And Jesus gets this and he begins to tell stories to the entire group. And the first story he tells him is verse 3 and 4. He tells them a parable. Suppose one of you has a hundred sheep and loses one of them. Doesn't he leave the 99 in the open country and go after the lost sheep until he finds it? So if you've, if you've been hearing that song that we sing about, you know, he goes, leaves the 99, the song is referencing this passage of Scripture where the heart of God is for the lost, the one that's wandered away, and he will go after them to find them. That's what Jesus was doing. I tell you, in the same way, there'll be more rejoicing in heaven over one sinner who repents than over 99 righteous persons who do not need to repent. Now, he's not saying that there's these in this group, these people don't need to repent. They do for their, their end of the whole process. But he's saying this is a heart of God that God loves people and he goes after them. Verse 8, suppose a woman has ten silver coins and loses one. Does she not light a lamp, sweep the house, and search carefully until she finds it? It's the same way I tell you. There's rejoicing in the presence of God over one sinner who repents. And so he tells them this story. And the Pharisees are getting that he's talking to them. 
he established religious community, and, and they, you know, they don't care for it. And then he tells this great story. In Luke 15, 11, it starts, And Jesus continued, There was a man who had two sons. Now, too often when we read this story, because there's a title in most people's Bibles that says the prodigal son, that's how we read it. But you've got to know, in, when, again, when you're reading the Bible and you see those little headings and subheadings, those aren't inspired. They were added later on by people, and they can sometimes throw you off of what was really going on. And I think it could have been called a lot of different things other than the prodigal son. Um, could have been, you know, the, the heart of God, the love of the father for the sons. And really, it's about his love for two sons, his two sons, all right? And so he tells this story, and you, you know the story. It's a well-known story, and, and so I'm not going to read you the entire passage. But the younger son asks for his inheritance and heads out, and he goes and squanders his money on wild living. He was, he was running hard, doing everything he shouldn't have done. And that was his life. He was partying and doing all those things. And at some point, the money runs out, and there's a famine, and he decides he's going to go back to the father's house. Now, he comes to the conclusion that, that that's the way that life really should be, and he's messed up, so he repents, and he starts heading back to the father. And he comes up with his speech. He's going to go, listen, I'm going to, I'm going to go to my father. I know I can't come back as a son because I've totally messed that up, but maybe he'll let me come in as a servant because the servants at my father's house have it better than, than it is out here. And so it's a picture of repentance, and the, the younger son is the image, the prodigal son is an imagery of the tax collectors and sinners. So he turns and starts coming back. And what happens is the father was looking for him, and he sees him a long way off and goes running towards the son. When he gets to the son, the son wants to deliver his speech, and the father won't let him. He said, nope, I love you so much. Get the calf, get the rings. He's yelling at the servant, get sandals, bring him in. We're going to have a party. And the son's like, but, 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 nope. You figure, see, he turned and came back. He see the repentance, he, and he just loves on him. All right, well, the older brother, he, he hates it. And so he goes, and he wanders off into another spot, and then he won't come to the party or anything. And what you miss, if you're not looking for it, is the father pursues him as well. And he goes, what's going on? Why aren't you at the party? And he said, I just can't believe what you've done. This, this, this son of yours. Now, it was his brother. That's his, his hack, right? This son of yours. Do you know what he's done? Do you, you're, are you paying attention? He took your money, the family money, and he ran off, and he lived this horrific life. And he says, he, he comes back, and he's got a speech. You won't even let him tell the speech. Your older brother's like, I'd like to hear the speech. And the father says, well, that's not what it's all about. And then the older brother says, but I've been here and I've done all these things and I'm following all the rules and there's no party for me. And the, and the father says, son, you are always with me. Look, that's the heart of this story. It's about the heart of the father wants his children with him. It's not about how well they figured it out or haven't figured it out. It's about turning their hearts towards him and pursuing him and receiving his love so that they can love others as well. It's about a with situation. See, that's the Father's heart. He wants His creation with Him. He's made a way in Jesus, but we, we have to move towards Him in the process. Not about following the rules, and it's certainly not going to happen doing our own thing, but it's coming towards Him in the process. And, and that's what we need to get about this amazing love for, for us. And if we can take it in, see, then our identity changes and we can do this walk completely differently. So how do we do this? How do we walk this out? Point number three. Part of it is I want you to hang on to this scripture, Romans 5, 8. But God demonstrates his own love for us in this. While we were still sinners, Christ died for us. He demonstrated his love, that, that he did what needed to be done before we'd figured anything out. And we need to hold that in context of who we are in Christ. 
And, and if we can start walking it out, think about what the church might look like. I think about that, and I think, you know what, I think that, that it would look like a, a church where, where the people know that the only reason they're there is because of the amazing love and the grace of God, not because of the way that they've followed the rules or worked it out. I think it, it would look like a church where people have fun and laugh and enjoy God and enjoy one another instead of having to pretend their way through a situation. I think it would look like a church where everybody is invited to the table, because sometimes people ask me, why do we have food here all the time? And I've shared this story, but I've shared it with you again. It's worth hearing, and it's the power of a sandwich. And, and so what does that mean? When I was younger, I didn't grow up in church. When I was 19, I had a summer work uh, experience, and I was, you, if you, I was so rough and foul-mouthed. And, just, and there was a, a man who was at work, uh, and he was a believer, and, and so that was foreign to me anyway. But he was, he was nice to me. And the way that he showed his kindness to me is, is I would be there. I, I wouldn't take lunch in because I didn't have a way to make lunch and couldn't go out and afford lunch. Don't think that I wasn't eating. I was going to the Pizza Hut every evening because they had a $4 buffet. And I was crushing it big. <laughs> they would look at me and go, oh, no. <laughs> I wouldn't leave for like three hours. I'd waddle out, go to sleep. I'd be good for 20. Anyway, he saw that I wasn't eating lunch. And he said, I have two sandwiches. Would you like one? Of course I'd like a sandwich. 19-year-old young man. And so he gives me a sandwich, and we, we start to chat, and we start to talk. And from that day forward, he bought me a sandwich for lunch. Now, the first day was, to me, in my mind, that was the big sacrifice, because after that, he always brought three sandwiches. <laughs> and he wasn't sharing number two anymore. So the first one was a big deal, because he only had one sandwich that day. But, and then, you know, we talked, and, and I figured out who he was. And he actually would invite me to his house for dinner sometimes with his family, wife and kids. And I was so, you know, you may not, but I was so rough. And um, he would tell me, and, and at one point, he really got to tell me about the gospel. We, we spent all night talking about it. And he, he explained it well. I heard it. I took it in. I remembered it. And I came to that point where I needed to make a decision. And, and the reason that I did not respond to the gospel then at 19 was I couldn't figure out how Christians had fun. I just couldn't, couldn't, it wouldn't resonate in my brain, so I, I, I walked away. And, you know, if you've heard this story, he, he gave me his Bible and all sorts of stuff. But, but years later, when the time came, and Alice and I were at another Bible study, and, and they weren't even talking about it, but suddenly the Lord just showed up, and I remembered everything that that man had told me. Everything had gotten in there because he'd gone out of his way to show me the love of God with a sandwich. So at some point in the things that we do, it just came up that uh, I'm going to feed everybody. Maybe they're listening. <laughs> right? So, so, yeah. So, listen, this is why knowing your identity in Christ is so important. You're chosen, you're loved, and God wants us to be a reflection of his love for us, loving everybody always. He wants us to live this full and abundant life in the community around us, looking ways for encouraged to build up and to bless.